Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We will be picking up where Luke left off um, last week, uh, following up after the conversion of Lydia. Uh, to a story in which uh, some of us may be familiar with, some of us may not. I feel like uh, in the 16th chapter of Acts, it kind of gets left behind a little bit with the, uh, the story of Lydia and then the jailkeeper, which we will be at uh, next week. Uh, but this morning, we will be with Paul and Silas as they meet a uh, demon-possessed slave girl and what happens whenever they meet and, and anything. So, uh, Acts chapter 16 Let's begin in verse 16 and uh, say amen when you're there. Well, I guess I'll give you a little bit more time because that wasn't many people. So There we go. Mr. Butch found it. Uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 16, says this. Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And brought, her own, and brought her owners uh, much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul uh, and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to, to them, them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave, them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet, uh, their feet in the stocks. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray now as we open your word. God, you'll speak to us. Uh, God, the things we don't know, would you teach us? The things we aren't doing, will you enable us to do us? In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. This morning, I'm going to remind you of the big picture uh, that God is building uh, his church of every nation and every language, uh, every tribe. And here we see the beginning of the church at Philippi. You remember last week uh, that Luke brought us uh, up to speed into chapter 16 when uh, Paul and Silas were trying to go different places. God shut the door and through a dream uh, called Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Uh, to Macedonia. And uh, getting to Macedonia, uh, there was not a synagogue there, right? And so most of the time what we see in Paul's missionary journey is he starts a synagogue. Well, in Philippi, there was no synagogue because there wasn't enough Jewish men uh, there in uh uh, and to Philippi to constitute being able to have a synagogue. So there was evidently public knowledge that by the prayer, by the river, there was a place of prayer. People who uh, were rather Jewish or proselytes had they converted to Judaism, which we find a lady named Lydia who uh, um, is there. She's from Thyatira, which this is, in, this is pretty cool. Where did 
Paul and Silas want to take the gospel. They wanted to take it to Asia, but God had shut the door for them to go to Asia. Well, Lydia, being uh, from, from Thyatira, she was an Asian woman. So anyway, God took them all the way around the world to Philippi to actually reach an Asian. And so pretty cool sovereignty there, how God's drawing them there. But anyway, so they, they're there, and it says that they preached the good news, and the Lord opened her heart that she would believe, and then she convinced them to stay with her for a little while. So when we pick up the text in 16, this maybe a week's time has gone by. We don't know how long, but Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy have stayed at Lydia's house for maybe up to a week, and they're, now they were returning where? To where they met Lydia. They went back to the river. And this time it was different. Instead of meeting someone like Lydia, who was very close, if you will, now they meet the other the, the opposite of that, the, to the other end of the spectrum, if you will. Last week, like we said, we looked at Lydia, a, a woman, a businesswoman, a successful businesswoman. Uh, next week, this is awesome, we'll see a jailkeeper who's a Gentile who was just doing his job. So in chapter 16, it starts with like the elite, if you will. Next week, we're going to be kind of like the dude just does his job, doesn't really care about much, he's just doing his thing. And then, but this morning we get to meet this slave girl who's possessed and exploited, and we don't even have her name. From top to bottom, uh, and in between, we see the gospel is for all people. And I came across this this week. I, I, there's history tells, there's stories tell us that Jewish men would begin their days praying a certain prayer to God. And in that prayer, what they would pray, they would pray to God. God, thank you for not making me a woman, a Gentile, or a slave. And isn't it fascinating, in Acts chapter 16, the first three people that get saved in Philippi is a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You see that God is building his church, building his kingdom, and it's for all people. Not just men, men and women. Not just Jew, Gentile, and even those who don't even have a name, if you will. And so we get to Acts chapter 16. We are introduced, or chapter verse 16. We're introduced, introduced to this slave girl. So I think the text breaks down in this way. Number one, the condition of the slave girl. That Luke is very ex explicit. And even though we don't get her name, we understand her condition. And is one that is not the greatest. Then we see the deliverance of the slave girl. And I understand this, that nowhere does Luke write that this girl believed in Jesus or even was baptized. But I have to, I have to believe, and I take from this text, because she is sandwiched in between Lydia and the jailkeeper, I, have to, I assume that she trusted in Jesus and she became a part of the Philippian church. Uh, that's, and even when I was reading through commentaries, many people said, Yes, no, it does. But I think that of someone who has been tormented her whole life and being delivered, I think that it would be okay for us to assume that she trusted in Jesus and that she became a member of the Philippian church. And actually, when this chapter ends, when they all go back to Lydia's house, I'm sure she was there waiting for Paul and Silas to get back. So we see the condition of the slave girl. We'll see the deliverance of the slave girl. And then lastly, we'll see the consequences for Paul and Silas. Anyway, if you're reading, if you got your taking notes, number one, the condition of the slave girl. Luke is very intent in telling us that, first of all, that she was possessed. 
uh, says this, that we were, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination. This word literally in the original text, it says the spirit of a python. So, Justin, that sounds weird. Uh, where does that come from? Well, the, 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 the in Greek mythology, there was once a python that guarded the oracles at Delphi. And so, obviously, this is Greek mythology. No, I don't believe in any of this. But in Greek mythology, there was the oracles that were in Delphi. Oracles are, are really a communication from the divine to man, right? And so, there was an oracle, someone who spoke, if you will, uh, at Delphi for, uh, for the gods. And there was a python uh, that guarded the oracles of Delphi. Well, story says that Apollos eventually came and killed the python, and now from, the, from, from Delphi, uh, there was as if Apollos was speaking, if you will. So if somebody had the spirit of the python, ultimately they were voices for Apollos. They were literally a mediator, a speaker uh, between for God to man. And that's what we see here, this lady who had the spirit of divination, that ultimately she was, the, she was possessed by a demon. And that demon was that as the python, the one, the communication of divine knowledge from God to man. It was, the divination was really a consolation with God through a mediator. So this, this girl had a, had a, she was possessed by a demon. It was, and ultimately what we see is that, People would come to her and would have to, ultimately, she would be a mediator between their belief of who God was. And so, emperors would come. They wouldn't go to war without coming to speak to one of these priestess, if you will. Uh, or emperors wouldn't make decrees and commanders wouldn't go to war. So, oftentimes, this officer, this person who had the spirit of divination, they would be the matter of life and death and, 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 and war and peace. And so ultimately it's where we get our word psychic, where eventually our ventriloquist came from. This picture of somebody who's just a dummy that a God is somebody speaking through. That's who she is. She's, she's nobody. She's just a body for a Greek God to speak through. Oftentimes they would fall into a trance and just begin to speak. And those words, people said, These, this is Apollo speaking. So not only was she possessed, but she was exploited. Look at, it says there that the slave girl, with the spirit of divination, and she what? She brought her owners much gain by fortune teller. Because emperors and military leaders, they wanted to know, should we do this? Obviously, then people in high places would come to these people, and it was a great gain for whoever owned that slave to be able to make a lot of money. Matter of fact, you see that they don't really care about the girl. In verse 19, whenever, uh, whenever she's delivered from the demon possession, they don't care about her. They care about what? How are they going to make money? And so what you see, this girl's condition is one ultimately of double bondage. She's possessed spiritually by demon, if you will, but also physically by owners. She's being possessed for the, the attacks of the enemy, if you will, but also she's been exploited by the people who are in control of her. Her condition is not one of great hope. She is the exact opposite of Lydia. Lydia had all the money. She had all the wealth. She was successful. We know her name. She had a house, and people came to her to buy what she had. Well, this girl is the direct opposite. She was completely possessed, 
and exploited. Not only that, but she was used by Satan. Look at verse 17. It says, She followed Paul to us and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Time out for a moment. Isn't that a weird way, do you think, uh, for uh, if Satan wants to disrupt what Paul and Silas have going on, why in the world would he use this demon-possessed girl to actually proclaim the very thing that they're proclaiming? Nothing they said, nothing the demon was saying through her was wrong. These, are, these, are, these guys are from the Most High God, and they're coming to preach the way of salvation. Amen. Like, like it seems kind of weird that that's Satan's tactic in this situation. Wouldn't you think that she would go around saying, don't listen to these guys. These guys are fools. And oftentimes, I'm just a side note from all, oftentimes we think that our enemy attacks us just in plain glaring ways. He's going he's gonna to tempt me to, to sin or he's going to tempt me to do this. And like the attacks of the enemy are only going to come through persecution. If well, oftentimes it comes just like this because, yes, our enemy roar, like seeks around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. The scripture also says he's the angel of light in which he had in the garden. He didn't come in with all kind of nonsense. He came in with God's word. Did God really say this? And so what we see happening here, matter of fact, it, it sounds a whole lot like Jesus' interaction with demon-possessed man. In Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Then they sailed, Jesus and his disciples, they sailed out of the country to the Gerasenes, and which is opposite of Galilee. Watch this. When Jesus has stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had, who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Listen to me. The devil doesn't have a the the theology problem. Matter of fact, I think the devil's and the demon's theology is probably more rock solid than many of us sitting in a room this morning. It's a submission problem. They know that Jesus, matter of fact, the demons cried out that he's the son of the most high God before any other, any other ones did. So what we see here is not, not that Satan, this is important for us to see, the, the scheme or the attack here is not just so obvious that he's trying to tell people not to listen. What he's trying to do is to sow confusion by association. You follow me? This, everybody in the town knew this girl had a spirit of divination, that, she, that she, was, she was possessed and everything like that. So what the enemy was doing was not trying to discredit, but so confusion because she was proclaiming, we're with them. They're with us. Listen to what they're saying. So you get the picture. It wasn't a sense that the enemy was coming in to knock the feet out from around them, but to sow confusion among the people because if Paul and Silas are associated with this, this cat, then evidently they're not to be trusted. And that's what we see going on here. And that's what the enemy does, confusion by association, which just another side note I'm not going to dive into, but not everyone who claims to preach the gospel actually preaches the gospel. And everybody claims to be a church is actually a church. But here's the point of application. And looking at this girl's condition, she was possessed, she was exploited, and she was used in the hand of Satan. And most of us look at that and go, man, poor girl. 
poor girl. Man, she's so sad for her, which it is. I think Luke's is, his intent is for us to see her condition. But I want to draw a picture here is that when it comes to this whole thing of salvation and knowing Jesus and following Christ, there is no middle ground. So Justin, we can just follow with me. There is no middle ground. Some of us say, well, Justin, I'm not demon-possessed. You are in the possession of the evil one. It's just the manifestation is a little different. It's rather you have been liberated by Christ or you're still in the possession of the evil one. There, there is no middle ground. Matter of fact, Jesus says it's like this, two religious leaders in John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, if, you were, uh, you, if, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, uh, sorry, you are of your father, the devil, who your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." John wrote it like this in 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of devil. Notice there is no in-between. I'm about to, like, Baptist preach at, preach at you for a moment. Scripture teaches us that whether you're a child of the devil or you're a child of God. You with me? John says it is evident that those who are children of God and those who are children of the devil, there is no middle ground. So we look at this girl and say, poor little girl. But the reality is if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're just as hopeless as this little girl in Acts chapter 16. Because there is no middle ground. Your your proximity to Jesus doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't gain you anything. By proximity, I mean I come to church. I do all the right things. Just whether you've rather trusted in Christ or you haven't. John says, it is evident those who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. How is it evident that those who are children of God is that, man, they, they walk in righteousness and they love God's people. The children of the devil do not walk in righteousness, and they do not love God's people. There is no middle ground. So when I read the text this week, at first I was like, man, this, this girl, I'm so, it's so sad, and her condition, it, it, it pulls my heartstrings. Then I began to think about people that are even at cross point that I don't think that, I don't know if they know Jesus. And say, so, Justin, I'm not demon possessed, but no. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, I wanna, I'm here to proclaim to you that you're still in the grips of the evil one. And listen to me, just like she was possessed, you're possessed by him. Maybe not that you're falling out in trenches of speaking, but you're still under his, in his dominion and his grip. And what happens? It exploits you. Just like this, this girl that she was exploited for what she can bring to her owners. That's what sin and being captive in sin does. It exploits us. It uses us. It pulls every fiber of our being and it wants to destroy our life. 
it uses us against the glory of God. It's like a, like a python, to use that analogy. It's like a python that, that continues to tighten its grip to squeeze the life out of you. And maybe you're sitting in here this morning, and that's what's happening in your life. You just feel like you're under some kind of dominion, and your life is being sucked out of you. Because that's what the enemy does. A sneaky, slithering serpent. He's been like that since the garden. I try to call it confusion and doubt, not only in any effort, I'm sorry, but to, to any effort to destroy man and rob God of the glory. But the good news, listen to me, the good news is that Jesus is a serpent crusher. Uh, the good news is that God the Father promised that serpent all over in the garden that there would be one born one day from this woman who will come in. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That even though, listen to me, yes, I'm speaking. I know we gather on Sunday mornings primarily for the edification of the church, but also what we see in this text is very easily for the enemy to, to sow himself within the church. With wheat and tares, I'm here today to preach this to them. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're still in the possession of the evil one. And maybe you're trying to fight it. You're trying to get out, out from within that python, if you will. Listen to me. Only one can crush the head of that serpent, and his name is Christ, Jesus. There's only one. See, not only do we see the condition of that girl, we see the deliverance of her. Look, it says day by day she was doing this. In verse 18, she kept doing it for many days, and Paul greatly annoyed. And really, the, the greatly annoyed is he's, he, he's disturbed. Like, it, it, it's messing with him. And I don't know if it was just because she was annoying, which that would be annoying, or if he was disturbed by her condition. He was disturbed and he was annoyed by the attacks of the en enemy. We don't know, but what we do know <laughs> is that in the name of Christ, he says, get out of her. And immediately the spirits, the, the, spirit, the demonic spirits out. And so you take a girl for a couple of verses. We see her condition. She's in bondage. And in a moment, she's released from that bondage. In a word, in a moment, she's released. In a moment, she was being used as an instrument for Satan. And in a moment, she could be an instrument for righteousness. You take a girl who her whole life has been exploited for the gain of another, and she's delivered to find freedom and value in Christ. What we see in this text is this girl who in verse 16 through 17, a hopeless condition. But in a moment, it changed. In a moment, it changed, and it changed because the name and the power of Christ. What's the point of application here is, I got ahead of myself earlier, whether you're either liberated by Jesus or you're still enslaved to your sin. There is no middle ground. When it gets down to it, it's not about did I go to church enough? Did I do the right things? Did I'm hoping that maybe when I die, I'm, 
I'm 51% good and 49% bad, and God's going to let me into the kingdom. And I want to just press here. I believe that that God's been calling, and there are many even in our congregation now, that God's calling to, to let go of whatever it is that's keeping you from trusting in Christ. You're trying to crush the head of the serpent and that's got a hold of your life, and the only way you're going to find deliverance is by letting Jesus crush that head. He's done it past tense when he died on a cross and was raised on the third day. But he does it actively in our life whenever we submit to his lordship and he says, you're now free. Or you're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And I look at this text and say, if Jesus can deliver this girl from a demon, I'm going to take my glasses off so you can see my eyes when I say this. There's nothing that he cannot deliver you from. (laughs) There's nothing he cannot deliver you from. Whatever that whatever is. Whether that whatever is a demonic possession or maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a even false religion. Maybe it's something that you're holding into your head. And you say, Justin, I've, I've given my whole life to this. Listen to me. Jesus can deliver us from anything and everything. We learned something about evangelism here in this text. I say, Justin, where you go with this is that if just with Lydia and the, the, the slave girl, we, we learn really two main things that we have to really always straddle. First of all, we, we, we learn that it is only God who can open our heart. All right, with Lydia, who opened Lydia's heart? It was God who opened her heart. Like, we understand that. We all agree that only God can open a heart for salvation. Listen to me. But we must preach the gospel. There is no one or the other. It's both. In one sense, it came to one that God was opening the mind and just, there's the beautiful gospel. And one came into a demon, get out of her. And one's going to come where God does a, makes an earthquake in a jail and people get free. The point is that there's a gospel that is preached. Both are necessary. So what we see in the text, as we've seen the condition and her deliverance, and we have to even think is there is no middle ground. Have you trusted in Christ? Actually, I'm going to do something a little weird for y'all. Is that okay? We get a little weird. with the knowledge that it is only God who can open the heart. I want you to think at this moment about somebody in your life who you know is in the bondage of the evil one, who has not trusted in Jesus. And think about this poor slave girl and her, how it pulls on our heartstrings to think about her condition. Maybe you need to pull out your phone and start scrolling through your phone so you see names. I'm okay with you. Do that. And you see somebody's name and say, I need to pray for God to open that person's heart. 
Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to ask you to begin to pray for God to open the heart of that person. Go ahead. You know, you're not praying out loud, but just take a moment and pray. Father, we come to you now on behalf of the one that we're thinking about. Yeah, we look at your text and see the conditions of this girl, and God, may we understand that anyone that's not in Christ is in a helpless, hopeless situation, but that we pray that you open the hearts of unbelievers, those people in our life. Yeah, that you will call them to yourself. God, we pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with this person or these people. It's in Christ's name. Amen. I'm not done yet, by the way. That's a girl's condition and her deliverance. Thirdly, we see the consequences for Paul and Silas. Verse 19 says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. The first thing that happened to Paul and Silas is they were seized uh, is enough. And you notice the motivation for the, her owners was it's money. The love of money. So I feel like the Bible says something about the love of money, right? Money isn't the root of all evil, but the love of money. And what we see here, this evilness is because they're, how are they going to make money now? They don't care about the girl being set free from a bondage. They care about money. And so they, they seize them. Then they accuse them. Look at verse 20. It says, and when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Uh, anti-Semitism hasn't just now started. It's always been. Hatred for the Jews has always been. Matter of fact, I, there's a good chance, if you get to chapter 18, if you everybody can flip over to verse 2, uh, it says this. It says, they found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently came from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So ultimately, even at this point, there's a good chance that even Claudius, the emperor of Rome, was kicking Jews out of Rome. And so the, the, the hatred for Jews were already there. We see it here. And so anyway, it says the Jews, they're disturbing our city. Uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They were accused of, of doing things, and actually, legally, what they were doing could be illegal. And so just what I mean is, if you're a Roman citizen, you couldn't participate in any, any religious activity that was not uh, sanctioned by the state. 
So ultimately, they'd had grounds, if you will. Uh, but that's not their heart. Their heart is saying that they're coming in, causing confusion and things like that. And so they're, they're accusing us, accusing them of doing that. And then, and really, I'm just doing this to set us up for next week. So they go from Lydia, they go from this drastic call to Macedonia, getting there, and God has like it teed up for them by the riverbank with a lady named Lydia. First convert. Awesome. Then they spend the next week being annoyed by a demon-possessed girl. They see in the power of Jesus' name, this girl delivered. Things are awesome. Next thing that happens is they get dragged to the center place and begin to have false accusations, if you will. And Rome, who is known for justice, if you will, doesn't even give these men a chance to speak for themselves. And what happens? In verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. He gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many wounds upon them. I'm trying to set the picture. I'm not going to, I'm literally going to set the picture and walk away. Because when Luke gets up next week to visit Paul and Silas in jail, I want it in her mind. They're literally beaten with rods. And it was a rod that was made of many rods. It was one that Paul, I think, was received that kind of beating three times. And they were being attacked by the, by the crowds. They were being attacked by the leaders and the police officers there. They were being beat with rods. And it says, when they inflicted many blows upon them, as in they were beat to a pulp. Notice the attack of the enemy has started with trying to be deceptive. Then it becomes all physical. They're beaten with rods. And then... It says, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. The word safely there is not peacefully, as in keep them somewhere they can't get out. They've done heard about Peter. And these other guys who they locked them up, and then somehow they just got out. And this time God's going to act a little different. He's not going Angels are going to visit Peter in a dream and or wake him up from a sleep. It's going to be a little. He's going to wake. He's going to wake Paul and Silas up, but not quite like the same. But they threw them into the prison. Verse twenty-four. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, not on the outside, but the inside. And to add even more insult to injury, fastened their feet in stocks, as in. Their feet were in stocks, and it wasn't something comfortable. There was this, these, these, these two guys. Matter of fact, uh, I got ahead of myself. I, I began to think, well, how come Luke and Timothy weren't in there? Anybody thought that? There's a good chance the anti-Semitism they had, that's why, that's why it was Paul and Silas that got arrested. Why these Jews, remember Timothy was the half-Jew and Luke was the Gentile. And so they, there's a good chance the reason why they're not in there is because they don't care about them. They just didn't like the Jews. So anyway, that's free knowledge, if you will. It's probably not right. It has nothing to do with anything. But I thought this way, why are they not there? Uh, but anyway, these guys who were moving, being obedient, now find themselves beaten, bruised, tattered, broken, strung up like an animal, a livestock, if you will. How would they respond? Come back next week and we will be there or just keep reading and because the good news is, is you don't have to just come here to be, be able to read the bible you can have a bible and read it on your own but we still like you to come <clears throat> so anyway how we respond to this text this morning i think 
first off, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, what's, what's keeping you? Like what's, what's keeping you from trusting in Christ? There is no middle ground. To just I'm not as bad off as the slave girl in Acts 16, but you are. And maybe you have felt the weight of trying to do life on your own strength and your own power. And it's like that python just tightening its grip. And if you were to be completely honest and if you could just show all, all your cars that anybody judging you say, I'm tired of doing this on my own strength. I need help. I'm here to say that Jesus can and will save all who call upon him. That you can actually find freedom for the first time in your life. Imagine how free that girl felt. I don't know at what age she got the spirit of divination, but it had to be for some time. She was making a lot of money, so people knew about this girl, where she was. Could you imagine the freedom she felt? And maybe you lack that freedom in your own life. Maybe you've dressed it up in religious activities, but the reality is you haven't found that freedom it's only in Christ. Will you trust in him this day? We call upon his name. Will you believe in Jesus? I don't care if you're a church member here already or not. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, I'm calling upon you to place your faith in him. I'm going to pray and I'm going to get out of the way. The band's going to lead us. I'll be standing down here in the front. And if you suggest that today is the day that God is calling me to trust in Christ, I want to I do, do that today. We don't do any of the raise your head, close your eyes, but we do call people. What we see, here you go, three things of evangelism that we see in this text is that God opens a heart, we're called to preach, listen to me, and we're called to believe and repent. And so we give people an opportunity to believe and repent. And if you want to do that today, you want to trust in Jesus, I ask you to come forward. I'll be down here. I can connect you with somebody, kind of talk through that. Cool? And maybe your response is you need to begin, continue to pray for the one who, who, is the, who is the slave girl, if you will, in your life. You know that sin is destroying their life, and God has placed you, them in your mind, and that's who you need to pray for. Not just that God would open up their heart that God would use you to share the gospel with them. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your word. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this text that you so richly blessed us with to see this little girl's story but also, God, it's our story. We may not have the spirit of divination or fortune-telling or what we see as demon-possessed, God, but rather we're children of the devil or we're children of God. There's no middle ground. God, I thank you that this girl who was 
once used in the hands of the enemy because of your deliverance can now be used in the hands of a holy God. God, that's all of our stories. And we were once in the hands of the enemy. But now, God, no matter, it doesn't matter how bad that was, God, when you redeem us, you now call us to live for your glory. So, God, we thank you for that truth. God, I do pray at this moment, if there's anybody in here that has not trusted in you, that they'll stop putting it off. That today you will, you will make them new. And they would trust and have faith in you. So God, I pray that you receive the glory in the way that we respond to you speaking this morning. I'm going to ask you to just kind of sit in the moment for a second, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And in a moment, Daniel will start singing over us. I'm down here at the front if you need to talk.